And during one of the tests, it rolled off the track, down the hill, across the highway, and into the swamp before it stopped. Was there someone inside it? Yes. There's just this kid just like rolling across the highway. Oh, no. That's the funny. I mean, that is terrifying. Thankfully, you know, they made it out alive. They made it out alive, but if I saw that, I don't know what I would do. curious and action and ta-da ta-da and pedro pascal how are you olivia i'm pretty good how are you i'm really good because i am on my second cup of coffee at your house (gasps) yay i've only had one cup of coffee i need to catch up with Mm -hmm. you because i am sleep deprived oh yeah i mean is there any time when we're not? I think that's like no. a level of survival. <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember the last time I wasn't sleep deprived. My favorite thing actually right now, and I'm not, this is not being funny. And it can be funny, but it's not. Is waking up to get ready for work and you have sent me something at one in the morning. <laughs> it's either something on Pinterest, a TikTok, or you're like, hey, this person said this. And I'm like, oh. How sweet. She's living her best life when I want to be living my best life. Is it my best life? I don't know. Yeah, the thing is, I, like, the nights that I do work, I work late, Mm. and so then I get home, and I want to, like, relax, and then I relax for a while, and then I also just, like, waste my time on social media, and then I finally go to bed, and then I... Lately, when I stay up too late, I've been getting heart palpitations, so... Oh. Um, yeah, I need to f- fix... Oh my gosh, I can't talk. Fix my sleep schedule so I don't die. Wait, you're getting heart palpita- palpitations because you're staying up late? Yeah, so it's So it's like, you're not getting enough sleep? Yes. Ah. Ooh. It, yeah, it's literally like if I stay up past a certain time, my body's like... Ah. ah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. It, I mean, I've done it to myself but i'm i'm trying to fix it slowly yeah Yeah, usually that is what happens to me when my anxiety is pretty bad yeah my anxiety hasn't been any different than normal just bad sleep i mean schedule yeah yeah well i applaud your efforts (laughs) (laughs) hopefully there will be less messages from me at one in the morning i'll still send you messages good but but it's always i'm like when you wake up and no one has texted you and you're like well that's probably good because people are sleeping but you're also like oh and i'm like i'm here like, oh. <laughs> like a night angel <laughs> so i know i'm trying to think if there's anything i wanted to say before we jump right into what we're doing i know i i feel like i thought of something earlier but of course i didn't write it down right because why would i do that mm. Not me. Um, I did go on a road trip this past weekend, Mm -hmm. and I did post some things on our Instagram, which were just like either past episode related, which was really fun because it was just like, well, we're there. And it made me excited for our hopeful future podcast road trip. I know. I 
I'm very happy that you got to go. And I was living vicariously through your pictures, but I'm like, oh, I want to be there. Yeah. Next time Mm -hmm. let's do it. And we'll actually eat at Billy's. (gasps) Yes. Let's do it. And it'll feel a little anticlimactic because you're like, oh, it's just like a regular place. There's nothing special. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, bar food is fun no matter what. Yeah. Even if it's just run of the mill. Run of the mill. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll, I don't know if you'll have something to add to the road trip, uh, today, but I have something to add to the road trip. Oh yeah. No, my road trip is in outer space. <laughs> That's the ultimate road <laughs> yeah, trip. Yeah, I know. Like, let's make it happen. Elon Musk is like, I'm listening. I'm, I'm like, like, don't listen. <laughs> can we go with someone else? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, please don't hurt us. Uh, yeah, so... I might as well just jump right into it. Okay. Um, so today, Olivia, I am going to tell you about Haley's Comet, or Halley's Comet, mm-hmm. or Holly's Comet. Oh, I've never heard Holly's. Yeah. So I looked it up. There is not um, like a correct pronunci- pronunciation because this guy, Edmund Holly, he um, he named the comet in. 1758 no 1705 oh no 1705 hold on let me 1700s 1700 hold on i think i think roman can actually fix this because i was like wait that's just when he predicted that it would be coming around but i don't know if they actually named it the same time and i should have written that down i'm like um I'm so glad that this can be edited out. I know. Okay. Anyway, it was in the 1700s. I'm going to say it was 1705. Just, okay. So let me go from there. So Edmund Haley, Holly, or Halley, Mm -hmm. um, in 1705, he was the one who basically discovered that this comet would be seen and come back to earth. Nobody really knows the correct pronunciation of his name because it was so long ago. Mm -hmm. But the article I read, it was like, it could be either rhymes with Valley, Daily, or Crawley. (laughs) So it's like, you kind of pick your Hallie, Holly. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own Hallie. I like to say Haley because it's like Haley Mills or something. Mm. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a Hallie girl myself. Yeah. But I think it was just because I didn't know how to pronounce things when I first learned about it. I'm like, Hallie? Haley? <laughs> uh, we could just call it Holly to be different. No, I won't do that. No, that's okay. weird. So this... <laughs> My Ordy's so like... <laughs> I like already got off the rails. <laughs> like, what just happened? <laughs> okay. Haley's Comet. Yes. <sighs> and sometimes I will say comment. I mean comet. Okay. It's like some people might say addict. Instead of attic. Just autocorrect in your mind that Drew means comet. Comet. I don't know why sometimes it just wants to be comment. Words are hard. Words are so (laughs) hard. It's like three in the afternoon on a beautiful spring day. And I'm like, why can't I talk? Life is not hard right now. Yeah. Isn't it always? It is always hard. (laughs) So the reason why I'm telling you this today it's well, comets are interesting, yes, mm-hmm. but did you know that Halley's Comet came 
around Earth. I mean, it didn't really come to Earth. It just goes around Earth in 1910, and it nearly uprooted civilization as we know it. I did not know that. No, it is actually really interesting. So we're going to start on May 6th, 1910. Halley's Comet is approaching Earth, and it has just killed England's King Edward VII. (laughs) According to some people. (laughs) This poor comet is living its life the best it can, and it has already had a murder accusation just thrown on it. I'm like, I don't remember this on Noble Blood. (laughs) No, no. Um, except when you're thinking about it, you're like, okay, so the comments on earth, he put on a really big trench coat, went to England, knocked on the door of wherever yeah. he was staying. And he was like, may I see my friend Edward? He assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that is not what happened. So of course, no one could definitively say how a comet could kill a king. Uh, but that's not the only offense of this poor comet. Um, Brits also figured it was an omen of a uh, coming invasion by the Germans, naturally. Not um, the aliens? No, the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is from Germany. They're like, we're thinking small here. It's Germany. They're always looking at us with their comet eyes. Um, and then the French uh, felt the comet was responsible for the flooding of the Seine in Paris. A lot of accusations. A lot of accusations. Um, but really, this is just a cute little comment. So, like we said, Edmund Halley, Haley, Holly, um, he discovered this comet. Um, he was an astronomer. He was a very intelligent man. He actually is a really interesting story. Like, he was the son of a soap maker. He was really interested in outer space because why wouldn't you but this was a time where it was like less people were really focusing on that as like a career Mm -hmm. but his dad bought him a telescope it was just like from there he was like here we go which i can't even imagine how much that would cost to buy a telescope in the late 1600s they're probably so fancy too very fancy yeah very pretty so um Haley applied Isaac Newton's law of motion to the comet, picking the exact week it would appear in the sky. And so when the comet arrived on schedule, it became known as his comet, which is like, how cute is that? (laughs) Although the comet is much older than him. And it's like, well, you know, we're in the Western world. It's going to get the Western name. Yeah. Um, But he did not live long enough to see this prediction come true, which is like, oh, that's sweet and sad. So this comet arrives to Earth or, you know, the atmosphere to be seen every 75 years. Um, So it appeared in 1758. It reappeared in 1835. It is now here in 1910. Just killing off kings. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing omens. Bringing omens. But before we even go into this crazy, crazy omen filled comet, let's actually talk about what is a comet. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a little cute, icy solar system body. It warms up as it passes by the sun or, you know, stars, and it is outgassing itself. That's what it's called. <laughs> it's outgassing. It's releasing okay. gas. Um, it produces an extended gravitationally unbound atmosphere or coma surrounding the nucleus, and it sometimes has a tail. Oh, cute. Yeah, and this tail is just a little trail of gas and dust <laughs> being blown out from the coma. Why did they write it like that? It just sounds 
both of your stories have had nature gas. <laughs> I was like, is this a theme? I'm like, this is interesting. Look at this gas. <laughs> um, so comets are very, very common, turns out. Also, I think there's a tea called Constant Comet, but that is... <laughs> there is. There is, but it's... The old people at the place I used to work loved it. But is it Comet or Comment? I think it's Constant Comet. Comet. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it turns out comets are also Constant Comets. <laughs> and um, so as of November 2021, there are 4,500, over 4,500 known comets, comets to Earth. Even though there are trillions in the galaxy, of course. Um, Halley's Comet became the first comet to be observed in detail by a spacecraft, providing um, the first observational data in the structure of a comet nucleus, like we were talking about, of that coma and that tail formation. Mm -hmm. The word comet is an old English word that has come from the Latin word cometa, which is also the Greek word Comites, and it means wearing long hair. Oh. So <laughs> it literally translates into a long haired star, <laughs> which is so cute. It's really cute. <laughs> which I'm like, in the, I guess in the like celestial body world, comets are like 80s hair bands. It, it's like Neil Gaiman's uh, depiction <laughs> of a star. <laughs> <laughs> I like your avenue. I was like, this is if Pantera was in the sky. And I'm like, this is Claire Danes. Oh, this is Metallica. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like That's better. <laughs> no, Metallica as a star sounds amazing. Yeah. Like, this star is a master of puppets. <laughs> and it's not even a star. It's just a little cute little ice thing. Mm-hmm. Just minding its own business. Um, and... This comet has, I mean, it's been around for a long time. They, I mean, they can't really predict how long it'll be around because they said that there's a chance it could eventually run into something. I mean, it's predicted to come again in 2061 because it was the last time it was seen on Earth was 1986. But it could not show up because it actually, I mean, it's literally living in space. Something could ruin its path. Yeah. But they said it could take up to 10,000 years for it to even burn out of all of its gas. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of gas. It's a lot of gas. But um, some scholars have proposed that first century Mesopotamian astronomers had already recognized this comet, as especially this because it was so periodic. Um, and this theory notes a passage in the Babylonian Talmud um, that it refers to a star which appears once in 70 years that makes the captains of the ships err. What is it? I don't know. What does that mean? I think it's just because the captains are like, that star is freaking us out. <laughs> or maybe they're like trying to... They're like, what is that? Yeah. Like they will chart by the stars and mm. they're like, that star is moving. It's making us mess up. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, they used to travel by the stars. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I wonder if it's also like a really nice way of saying this moving thing in the sky is freaking us out. Yeah. It's causing us to err. Hmm. I don't know. So, now we know Halley's Comet, it means well, it's just doing its own thing, it's living in space with a cute little tail, and uh, it has not killed anyone as far as we know. But it sure freaks them the heck out. It sure freaks them out. 
So, um, 1910, Haley's Comet, it's back. And um, because it's showing up at a time where news travels faster, mm-hmm. it is getting a little more widespread with like smaller areas, like places where, um, you know, the last time it was there, you would not have a paper circulating or you wouldn't have necessarily news getting to everyone. Now everyone's like, this is happening. This is going down. Mm -hmm. The Royal Observatory uh, warned that this comet would, quote, cause the Pacific to change basins with the Atlantic and the primeval forests of North and South America to be swept into a briny avalanche over the sandy plains of the Great Sahara tumbling over and over with houses, ships, sharks, whales, and all sorts of living things in one heterogeneous mass of chaotic confusion. Are they saying that (laughs) Haley's Comet would cause a Sharknado? Yes, actually, (laughs) yes. (laughs) The first documentation of a Sharknado is in 1910. Okay, so... Clearly, this is, I mean, the Royal Observatory, this is a well-known circulated source of news. So this is right off the bat, they're like, this is going to happen. Um, this panic is not really like, uh, what's the word? Like, it, this has happened before with, with comets, especially things in the sky. Um, but this 1910 panic is like, unlike anything we have ever seen since. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is like, if a comet is the only thing that's going to ruin your life, I wish that was our problem. Right. Cause since then things have gone. Reversed. Oh, to a comet be our worst problem. <laughs> oh, right. Um, so people were getting really creative with their anxiety and it didn't help. I relate to that. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the Royal Observatory, the New York Times, which is still today a very well-known news source, Mm -hmm. they announced that this comet would unceremoniously end life as we know it. (laughs) And the reason is because of a very famous French astronomer named Camille... Flammarion, or Camille Flammarion, I guess, probably. Very nice. Um, He said there was a chance that cyanogen gas would impregnate the atmosphere and possibly snuff out all life on the planet. And everyone kind of glommed onto that and just ran with it. Um. Oh, I forgot to give my resources. So my resources for this, I'm so sorry, are a Wired article um, by Matt Simon and an All That's Interesting article by Genevieve Carlton, and then, of course, Wikipedia. So the the All That's Interesting article, um, they said something that I am, I did not write this, but they said, in typical French despair, I did not say that, they said that, um, Camille Flammarion reckoned that as we passed through the comet's tail, Earth, uh, this gas would basically um, be detected either being, you know, in your mouth or your nose, and then it would be sufficient enough to cause instant death. And I don't know why this time, again, this comet has been coming around since the Babylonian era, mm-hmm. every 75 years. He's like, but now's the time. Now it's the time. It's going to kill us. Okay. Um, But even though the New York Times 
quoted him saying this, not all American astronomers agreed with him. Um, I also put a little note here that there's the, have you heard of the Venerable Bede? No. Some guy. He was kind of like a philosopher. Um, Back in 700 AD, he warned that comets would portent a change of royal power or plague or wars or winds or heat. So people are quoting this in in the news articles and they're like, well, if this guy said it, it means something. Well, that was 700 AD. They're like, well, obviously then he killed the king. He killed the king. And so the New York Times went on to say, for example, in England in 1066, it became known as the year of three kings because three kings all claimed their right to the throne. However, Halley's Comet appeared the same year, and so people were convinced, well, this venerable bead is correct because, you know, he said that a comet would bring a change to royal power, and they're like, oh, great. (laughs) The comet then came in the end of 1764, leading up to 1765. Guess what happened? London had a plague outbreak, and then a great fire. And then, so, already, the world is panicking. Oh my gosh, Halley's Comet, every time it comes, it's messing stuff up. Spoiler alert. No, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Um, The New York Times went on to add that, for example, in 1680, a Boston preacher named Increase Mather, his first name was Increase. Wow. Yeah. He basically used revelation as a way to um, explain the comet is going to be a sign from God that if we, you know, ignored heaven's alarm, then God's anger will strike us down. Again, a comet is just a little ball of gas, mm-hmm. but you know. You know, we just mind its own business in the sky. Doom and gloom. I know. Oh, to be a comet, just living its best life, not (laughs) knowing you're being thrown literally every terrible thing that's happened on Earth right at your face. (laughs) So back to 1910. Um, One of the skeptics to Flammarion, he noted that the gas, quote, was so rarefied as to be thinner than any vacuum, and therefore posed no threat. Um, Robert Ball, who is a director of Cambridge Observatory, noted um, that another famed astronomer, John Herschel, reckoned the whole comet could be squeezed into a portmanteau, which is basically a a suitcase, Mm -hmm. But what was funny is they didn't realize that the comet is actually nine miles long. So it could not fit into a suitcase. And so they were like laughing. They're like, this thing is so small. We could just put it in a little bag and it's not going to kill us. They're like, well, from here it looks that big. Right. So the New York Times collapsed back, back when it wasn't, didn't know it was clapping back. And they gave a little vocabulary lesson in the funniest way. And I don't want to read all of this. It's it's quite a bit. But they are basically talking about, okay, a portmanteau is a word for um, a suitcase. And if John Herschel really said that it could be packed in a suitcase, he was talking nonsense. This proposition suggests three factors. The comet, the suitcase, and the packer. The comet will be visible 
There are plenty of suitcases on Earth, okay, but who's doing the packing? (laughs) We do not believe that a comet could be put in a suitcase. Experience teaches us that very little can be packed in a suitcase by any man. It should take a woman to pack one properly. There are plenty of women on Earth, of course, but John Herschel's lighthearted assertion, now gaily stepfathered by Sir Robert's assertion, will not tempt any woman to do unnecessary packing of a comet. (laughs) (laughs) A comet, once packed into a suitcase, or even a trunk, because, you know, that's bigger, would be must beyond recognition and no further use to anybody. Better leave the comet where it is. We will all feel safer. End quote. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, a comet and your carry-on luggage, you won't be able to recognize it. (laughs) But... This did not make anyone feel safer because they're like, okay, New York Times, we get it, but we're still scared. For example, just three years prior, a Kentucky newspaper basically said, will the coming comet collide with Earth? So it's like, okay, is it coming to collide with Earth? Is it going to kill us with its gas? Or is it just being cute in space? Everyone is freaking out. No, it did not smash the Earth. It won't smash the Earth. Um, Another... Uh, adaption of this jovial outlook like the New York Times um, there was a band called the Toonsmiths at the time and they um, made a song about the comet which was cute it's called the comet called Halley or Haley um, there were companies that would use the comet in their advertising <laughs> such as Pears Soap Uh, They would use a slogan called, Pear Soap is visible day and night all over the world, much like the comet. It's like, well, (laughs) okay, okay. soap has nothing to do with that, but. Um, Some people went as far as creating anti-comet pills. Okay. They, one brand actually uh, promised, quote, an elixir for escaping the wrath of the heavens, end quote. There was a voodoo doctor in Haiti who was said to be selling pills as fast as he could make them. I bet he was. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was in those pills? Um, um, and then two Texans were arrested for marketing sugar pills as a cure-all for all things Comet. But police released them shortly because customers were so upset and demanded their freedom because they wanted the pills, even though they were told they were fake. That placebo. Man. Oh man, it is strong. Um, and then of course gas masks were flying off the shelves. <laughs> there was a further if you go even further into this, um, it was said that the country of Korea, because I believe South and North Korea were still this one by at this point, um, they had stopped going to work because they were so scared. Um, they're like, why work when you are just gonna be killed by a comet? There was um, there was some articles that were written that said a shepherd in Washington State uh, had gone insane with worry about the comet. Well, a Californian prospector nailed his feet and one hand to a cross, and despite his agony, pleaded with rescuers to let him remain there so that he could survive the comet. I'm not really sure how that would make you survive. I don't know. No. Like it was going to sweep him away, or I don't know. No. I, I don't know the reasoning there. No. Uh, churches found themselves packed to the brim with world wor- worried followers. 
Um, and then some people at home were going as far as plugging up their keyholes to keep out the vapors from the comet. But despite this insanity, most people were actually excited about it because it's like, I mean, it's pretty to look at and, you know, it's yeah. in the sky and um, people felt like it was a once in a lifetime experience, which it is for a lot of us because most people don't get to see it twice in their life. Mm -hmm. You can see it once. Um, so as Earth passed through the comet's tail on May 19, many curious onlookers packed rooftops um, while the French, other than Camille Flammarion, enjoyed special comet dinners and nights out watching, you know, the comet from uh, restaurants and homes. Um, however, Camille Flammarion stuck with his theory, and even though the comet was gone after a few days, he said four people, just four people on Earth, had certain olfactory experiences which are described variously as smelling of burning vegetables or burning marsh. So it didn't really kill him. He just, they were smelling something bad. It might have just not been the comet at all. Yeah. <laughs> Did they, were they having a stroke? <laughs> Maybe. Like, it's your first sign of smelling a burning marsh. Yikes. So, realizing that Earth had survived a near apocalypse... Uh, the people of France danced and embraced in the streets. Um, however, in Atlanta, Georgia, they missed out on all the fun because of cloud cover. Although the Atlanta Constitution seemed relieved because they said the clouds saved the city. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I like the, whoever wrote this. I think this was um, Matt Simon. Uh, he wrote, Atlanta and the rest of the earth were saved by reality. <laughs> Because for thousands of years, for literally thousands of years, Earth have seen, Earth have seen, Earth has seen so many comets come and go. We're all still here. Mm -hmm. It's going to take much more than that. Um, so two years after this event, an even more fanciful theory from, um, oh, this is a, I mean, I can sort of read this Chinese name. I don't know about that part, but Chong Chin Liang of Imperial Polytechnic College in Shanghai, um, he said, quote, it is obvious the comet has no tail at all, but the so-called tail must be the sun rays, which while passing through the body of the comet look like a tail, which is true because it doesn't really have a tail, mm -hmm. but should the comet itself be transparent, it should form a convex lens that everything on the earth will be burnt provided the sunlight passes through the body of the comet and the focus falls on the surface of the earth. End quote. So, while procrastinating warriors only got around to proposing that the earth had survived this deadly thing, is anyone's guess, it's just really like, no, we don't need to have protection from a a little thing mm -hmm. following a ball of gas and ice. But there were a few things that they talked about that in addition to Halley's Comet, which is the most, I guess, well-known comet when you yes. think of one, there's also um, the Hale-Bopp Comet, oh. which also led to some deaths. So in 1997, members of the Heaven's Gate cult ah, yes. committed mass suicide to ascend to the alien spacecraft they believed was hidden in the comet. 
I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. And guess what? That is also not true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry to them. That will be a future episode. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, last but not least, so I don't know if you remember, in 2020, you could see the Neowise comet. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the only highlight of that year because obviously we could not do anything. Yeah. I remember my roommate and I would like sneak out at night find a place that was really dark and just lay in the grass and stare at the sky to look at Neowise because we're like this is a terrible year please can I just do something fun and it was looking at Neowise that's happy yeah however many conspiracy theorists blamed COVID-19 on Neowise of course yeah because I mean why wouldn't you but so last but not least so the people that survived the comet in 1910 um, that were alive to see it, they some people were, you know, fortunate enough to see it again in 1986, which I'm like, how special is that? That is really cool. Um, and they didn't die. But my favorite thing about this is this picture, and there's like really cute old people just looking up into the sky in 1986, and the caption at the bottom of the picture says, these old folks did not die while watching the 1910 appearance of Halley's Comet. And they didn't even die before its reappearance in 1986. Here they are being honored for not dying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, at the end of the day, if you're alive for Halley's Comet in 2061... You really don't need anything unless you're going to look at it during the day. So get sunglasses. But other than that, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. It won't <laughs> kill you. And that is the story of the unhinged reaction to 1910 Haley <laughs> Comet visiting Earth. <laughs> well, I, I guess humanity hasn't changed that much uh, with their disproportionate reactions. Yeah. What I think is funny is, I mean, we say this a lot. It's been coined more recently, but fake news mm -hmm. has the power to append so much. Yeah. And I love that they're like, you know what? Let's, they're not like, hey, let's not panic the public. They're like, this will literally end life as we know it. There's going to be animals flying all over the oceans will switch they're just like we're gonna panic these people as much as we possibly can and won't you feel dumb when it doesn't happen right and how come i guess the logic here is if you're an astronomer don't you have the ability to like logic out the fact that this comet visits earth 70 every 75 years and it hasn't happened before what makes 1910 different i mean i guess there's crazy people in every profession yeah I th and what I really think is that he just wanted to be famous. Yeah. You're famous for looking like an idiot. Yeah. You're famous for being a boy named Camille. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the French are like, that's actually a very common French boy's name. I like so. that all the French are like, we're just going to like have nice dinners and watch it. The French don't fear. They're like, we start revolutions all the time. What, a comet's going to take us down? No. <laughs> And I guess the loudest person about it was French, but they're like, we don't even listen to that guy. They're like, we don't like him. No. <laughs> um, I don't know him. I don't even know him. <sighs> well, that was a very interesting story. Yeah. I just thought it was really funny because I was, I just randomly came across it the other day and I was laughing so hard 
because 1910 was not that long ago. No. And I did not realize that so many people actually thought Earth was going to just either be burned up or that everyone was going to die. And, I mean, talk about a a slow news day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like that most people had the right idea of just enjoy it for what it is. It's it's a cool thing that you may not ever get to see. And it's pretty and... I don't know. I just, I think it's cute. I think comets are actually kind of cute. They are cute. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like a little, like a, like a little Pikachu in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's happy. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break before my story. Yeah. Let's get some more coffee because I have a feeling this is going to be in. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a wild ride. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by listeners like you. (laughs) the best way you can support our show is by word of mouth so if you know someone that enjoys oddities and curiosities please consider sharing our little show with them thank you all right and on to my story so uh your story was uh out of this world (laughs) and literally the tagline for my story is there's no place in the world like Action Park. Ooh. Oh, no. I will be talking about Action Park, or as it was dubbed, Class Action Park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a water park in New Jersey in the 80s and 90s. So Already sounds like a red flag. They're so... <laughs> 80s New Jersey. Or like, I'm so sorry, New Jersey. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I feel like you know. Um, the sources for my story are the Class Action Park documentary, uh, Wikipedia, of course, mm. and then a Class Action Park article by Amy Kuperinski on NewJersey.com. If NewJersey.com knows about it, then New Jersey knows. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they're still writing about it all these years later, then oh, they yeah. know. Okay, so we are going to start with the creator, Gene Mulvihill. So before Action Park, Gene Mulvihill ran a brokerage firm on Wall Street called Mayflower Securities. And Gene was basically Gordon Gecko before there was a Gordon Gecko. Oh. For those of you who don't know, that is from the movie Wall Street. Yes. Which I've never seen. I've never seen it, but when I think of what Wall Street people look like, I do think of Michael Douglas in that movie. Yeah. I've, and I'm always like, Gecko, is that a real last name or is it just for fun because he's a lizard? Oh, I didn't think about that. It is kind of a weird last name. Yeah, or is he because he became the Geico <laughs> mascot? <laughs> Little no. known fact. No. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, him and his friend, Robert Brennan, would make money selling worthless penny stocks. Now I'm not going to get into what penny stocks are because I barely understand it myself. Is it just a stock that's very cheap? It's useless. Ah, It's oh. like a stock that they know is not going to do well. And so then they sell it to people that don't know any better. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it is really sad. I don't know anything about the stock market, but don't let me buy a penny stock. No. And again, I have not seen this movie, but in the documentary, they show a clip of the movie Wolf of Wall Street, mm. where Jordan Belfort, who's also a real person, 
made his money selling penny stocks as well. Oh, okay. One Is of the many things. Leonardo DiCaprio's yes. character. Yes, oh. DiCaprio. I always thought he was also Gordon Gecko. See, that shows what I know. No, he's not. I only know that from like another podcast that talked about the movie. Mm. Um, so they were making tons of money before the SEC got onto them and shut them down, mostly due to uh, Robert Brennan's shady dealings. So it looks like Gene Mulvihill was kind of getting away with it before Robert Brennan came along and then he kind of blew the operation for them. Mm. <laughs> so Gene... Uh, went on to buy two ski resorts in Vernon, New Jersey. And at this time in the 80s, people like Hugh Hefner were viewing Vernon like a possible new Atlantic City or Orlando. That was the hope is that it was going to be a place where there would be a lot of tourism and a lot of nightlife. And at this time, there was a play, oh my gosh, I can't talk, Playboy <laughs> Lounge uh, that Hugh Hefner started there. And then people like Tony Bennett and Wayne Newton were also performing uh, at nightlife spots there. It, it feels very Atlantic City. It does feel very Atlantic City. So there was some potential, and Gene, being a businessman, saw the potential there. During the winter, people would come and ski in Vernon at the ski resorts, but Gene... Being a businessman needed a new scheme to bring people in during the summer. So he came up with the idea of a water park, action park, and his friend Brennan was helping to bankroll this project. So in 1978, the park opened and action park was one of the first modern water parks and it utilized the natural landscape of the mountains and the ski resort. So like a lot of the attractions were kind of built into like the landscape of it. Mm -hmm. And all of the water came from the mountain springs. So it was freezing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, there were four. I don't know why it says four main parts. There were three main parts. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly have three portions of the park. So there was the Alpine Center. Waterworld and Motor World. And Waterworld and Motor World were divided by a highway going like through. An actual highway. An actual highway. Oh no. Yeah, so it already sounds a little sketchy, and then you have a highway going right through the park. <laughs> so if you want to get to the other side of the park, you have to get across the highway. Um, one of the things that people loved about Action Park was that it was so different and innovative. And partly it was because Gene Mulvihill wanted a really fun and different place, but it's also partly because absolutely no one with an engineering background was consulted during the building of this park. What? No one? No. <laughs> like there were people that would, um, you know, come up with ride designs mm -hmm. and it was people that, uh, you know, would pitch things to Disney World and other uh, theme parks and water parks and they would be like absolutely not that's way too crazy and then they would go to gene mulvihill and he'd be like that's great let's just put that in the water park and then oh, i'll no. also tinker with it for some good measure oh. um and not only that but the theme park was essentially run by teens <laughs> all the employees there were teenagers because they were getting their summer jobs right but when it comes to safety, that poses a huge problem when it's just teens that are in charge of 
every department, basically. Because nothing says, I care about people around me like a teenager. Right. (laughs) They're like the least interested in what anyone's doing. And also like if... Even if they are trying to enforce rules, who's going to listen to like some teenager? No. Either one. it's other teenagers or adults who are like, what's this kid going to do to me if I don't listen mm-hmm. to them? And hazing was also very common among the teen staff. Oh my gosh. And uh, they would even like try and drown each other as part of the hazing at the water park. What? Yeah. No one died from that, but definitely some unsafe practices were going on and no one in management cared about labor laws. So they would be working insane hours during the summer. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most infamous rides is cannonball loop. Now this wasn't even really designed by like a park ride designer. Jean took a cocktail napkin, drew a loop de loo and said, I want this to be a ride. And then someone expanded upon that. Yikes. So it's always great when a cocktail napkin is involved because then, you know, drinking is probably involved, too. Yeah. <laughs> Engineers everywhere are like, oh, you use the uh, cocktail napkin theory. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Cannonball Loop was an enclosed water slide that was pitch black. And also, I just want to stress that everything in this park was made of like cement, concrete, asphalt, whatever. I just got a concussion hearing that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the slide gets built and they send test dummies down. And according to legend, all the test dummies come out dismembered. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. So thankfully they made a few changes uh, to things before they had actual humans tested out. Mm-hmm. And then Gene started offering $100 to any of the teen employees who would test the slide. So the first few kids come out and their faces are all bloody and they can't figure out why. But then they're like, well, we should probably put some padding in to make it softer for everyone. And then more kids went down the slide and they were coming out covered in lacerations. So they opened up the slide and there were teeth embedded in the slide from the first group of kids that when the second group of kids were going down, the teeth would cut them up. (laughs) That's the scariest thing I have ever heard. I just, I can't imagine the trauma of being like, oh, what was that that cut me? Oh, a human tooth. Some dentist is like, cha-ching. And then uh, if you were too big for the slide, then you would get stuck, like lodged in it. There were just teeth biting you. Right. (laughs) Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. And if you were too small, then you wouldn't have enough momentum to get over the loop. So there was a hatch built into the side of the slide so people could get rescued when they got stuck. Not a good sign when you have to put in a rescue hatch. (laughs) No. (laughs) My, My personal favorite ride is man in the ball in the ball. Man, man in the ball, in the ball, in the ball. Yeah. Why? So that name. (laughs) So park goers would get inside what kind of looks like a hamster ball that is rolling around on ball bearings down a track made of PVC pipes. But of course, the ball is not fixed to the track and it's round. So it wouldn't stay on the track. And and during one of the tests, it rolled off the track 
down the hill, across the highway, and into the swamp before it stopped. Was there someone inside it? Yes. There's just this kid just like rolling across the highway. Oh no. That's the funny I mean, that is terrifying. Thankfully, you know, they made it out. They made it out alive, but if I saw that, I don't know what I would do. Crying when I was watching the documentary because there's like an animation of it going across the highway. (laughs) Oh gosh. Oh no. Um, another slide was inspired by zero gravity. And it was nothing should be inspired by zero gravity, (laughs) especially when it's made of concrete. (laughs) So it was designed in such a way that people would come down the slide and then they would become airborne and then come back down onto the slide made of concrete. Oh, my gosh. As you can imagine, there were some injuries. Yeah. Most notably, one kid came back down so hard that he had to be carried away on a backboard. Oh, I just, oh, oh, it makes I, it having been on a backboard before right that's already you have a firsthand experience an icky feeling but then just imagining that you're just going down a water slide and then you get carried out of the park on a backboard or the whole time you're like i am having fun this yeah. is fun i'm having fun right until you get slammed back down oh yeah <sighs> moving on <laughs> The Tarzan swing uh, was just like a rope swing that you would swing across into the water. But there was an observation deck where everyone that was in line for the swing uh, could watch when you were going across. And all these New Jersey teens are yelling at you about how terrible your swing is and what a wuss you are and just yelling obscenities at each other, which... Sounds more traumatic than honestly anything in the park to me. Because imagining just like a group of teenagers watch you and making fun of you. That is actually most people's nightmares. It's true. I don't want an observation deck on anything. Never watch me do anything, please. Please. (laughs) And then most people couldn't hold their body weight and they would end up just flopping into the freezing cold mountain spring water. And the combination of slamming down into the water and it being so cold they would be stunned and forget how to swim oh no and sometimes would have to be rescued yeah i have no words <laughs> now back to gene mulvahill for okay. a bit okay so gene didn't believe in insurance but of course he needed insurance to run a water park yeah so instead of getting insurance he set up his own fake insurance company that he called London and World Assurance, which sounds what? super fake. It sounds like the <laughs> London and World? Uh-huh. Hmm. And uh, it was in the Cayman Islands, and he would also use it to launder money. I'm like, Cayman Islands has the unfortunate reputation for being the place that people run to when they're running from the law. Yeah. They're like, hey, we don't want that reputation. No, because it's. I guess it's like beautiful. And I know they have really strict laws there. So like, why are they going there? I, I guess, know. I don't know. Um, this eventually led to an 110 count indictment and Gene pled guilty to fraud. But that didn't stop Action Park success. Oh, no. Um, now back to more of the park insanity. Another feature in the park was the cliff dive. There was a slide that you could go down from the top of the cliff, or you could just jump 20 feet off the cliff. 
Into what? Into freezing cold spring water. At least like just the ground. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I've jumped off some cliffs before. Probably most kids Mm -hmm. have in their childhood as well. Um, But usually there's not a whole lot of people around. Just, you know, you and a couple friends. Uh, At the park, there was tons of people jumping Mm -hmm. in. They weren't really regulating how quickly people would jump in one after the other. Are people landing on each other? There was some risk of that. And then if you were having any trouble swimming or you weren't coming back up, they couldn't really see you Mm. because it was like a murky, uh, like spring water. And so they eventually had to paint the bottom white so they could actually see people and several people due to not jumping how the lifeguards instructed, because why would they? Because they're teenagers. On impact, would dislocate their shoulders. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once I jumped off a bridge. <laughs> okay. And looking back, I I should not have done that. But a lot of people do. This is an area near my hometown that it's like a 30-foot bridge. I would. I think I'm afraid of jumping off things because of that one time I did that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how I would do it around so many people. Seeing people get in- injured and then being like, well, I can do it. No. You're like, I'm not going to get injured. <laughs> no. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. But don't worry, though. If you had any <laughs> issues, the lifeguards would give you a wristband that said CFS, which stands for can't effing swim. Seriously? <laughs> and if you had the wristband, that meant you probably had already been rescued earlier in the day. So they're like, here's your wristband, you idiot. You don't know how to swim. Yeah. These jerk teenagers are just like, this guy can't effing swim. Wait, why are they in charge of making wristbands? I don't know. <laughs> why it should say, please help this person. Yeah. Instead, they're just like. We're from New Jersey and we're me. Negging you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, a park like this is a huge draw for adrenaline junkies, latchkey kids, and people who are day drinking. So people who have no parental support. No parental support, no parental guidance. Um, drunk. Drunk, probably doing other things at the park. Oh my gosh. And there was one ride in particular, a river raft ride, that people, due to the current, would often bump into each other. It's just like the way the current was People would get piled up and bump into the tube and people would get out of the tube and start fist fighting each other. Oh my gosh. And it was really funny. Someone in the documentary compared the park to being like the perch. (laughs) (laughs) People are just doing whatever they want. Yeah, because who's going to stop? No one. No, the teens are probably going to egg them on. Mm Mm-hmm. And another thing that adults would do is go to the park and get drunk during the day and then go... Wait, why is there alcohol at the park? Are they bringing it with them? Oh, there's lots of alcohol at the park. Oh my gosh. There's like a full-on beer garden. Um, There was like an area where there would be lots of festivals, like they would have Oktoberfest and pretty much any festival that involves drinking. Oh, okay, good. And then they would do that during the day and then they would go to motor world at night so they could drive drunk around the speedway <laughs> and some people and get into a giant hamster ball <laughs> and some people would even drive the go-karts off the speedway and take it onto the highway no being you know what 
Why would they? I would want to admit if I was in that situation, I'd be like, let's see if I can do it. I'm like, don't put it next to a highway. (laughs) Why is it even accessible? I almost, it doesn't feel real. The fact that this is real is terrifying, but I really would love to just be a fly on the wall in the 80s. Literally watching this documentary felt like a fever dream. (laughs) Yes. I was like, what is this? This is like someone just made up the worst possible things that you could give children access to. Yeah. Okay. So the Alpine slide, uh, was a ski lift up to the top of the slide. And then you would go down these concrete slides on sleds and the sleds had brakes so that you could pull on to slow down at certain points that were marked slow down. But, um, a lot of times they wouldn't work or the brakes would be broken and people would go either flying off the slide or their sled and would get broken bones, concussions, or because they're in their swimming suits, get burns from the concrete tearing up their skin. But, uh, fear not. They had an infirmary. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, when part full of teen nurses, (laughs) probably, (laughs) Uh, when park goers would come in with burns, they would spray a solution on, uh, to your burns. And apparently it burned so badly that there was a circle drawn on the floor. And if you managed to stay in the circle when they were spraying it on you, you got a prize. And apparently like only two people ever got a prize and they just got a stupid pin. What is the prize? Is it a wristband that says you're an idiot? <laughs> it's like a pin from the park or something. Um, and the slu- It's a token to the beer garden. <laughs> right. And they're 12. <laughs> <laughs> and the solution that was sprayed on the burns was supposedly a mixture of alcohol and iodine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't even like make the people feel better they'd be like this is gonna hurt (laughs) spray you down (laughs) as they're chain smoking (laughs) yeah um and employees remember seeing people taken away on backboards on the back of golf carts and later learning that they had spinal fractures or concussions and all sorts of horrible injuries oh uh sadly on july I didn't get the exact day. I think it was around July 4th weekend, though. July 1980, Action Park had its first death. George Larson Jr. was 19 years old, and he had taken the day off from work to enjoy a day at Action Park with his friends. He went down the alpine slide and was thrown off, landing and hitting his head on nearby rocks. Mm. He was rushed to the hospital and was in critical condition, and by the time his family got to the hospital... He had already been moved to another hospital because he was in such critical condition. And his mother recalls seeing his bed soaked in his own blood. George was in a coma for a week before he sadly passed away. And his mother was so grief stricken that she said she stepped into traffic in front of a truck before her husband pulled her out of harm. And she said she just didn't want to live with the pain. Oh, that's awful. I know. (laughs) George was also supposed to be the best man at his brother's wedding, but he passed away just the week before his brother got married. Oh no, that's so sad. I know. And his family wanted a settlement or some sort of acknowledgement from the park that their son's life had been taken. And their lawyer, I can't believe like someone would say this to a family, even if it's true in the eyes of the law. 
He said that teens weren't worth that much because they're considered a liability, and they settled for a hundred thousand dollars. But a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty was probably a lot of money, which I mean, that's not anything compared to a life. But yeah. it's like, well, shouldn't this make them obviously think this could keep happening? Let's make safety measures. Uh, you would think, but I mean, Jean had the money to pay people, although it was said in the documentary that he often did not pay people on time and U.S. Marshals would regularly show up to get the payments from him. His money was coming from the Cayman Islands. He's like, it'll come in four to six business days. Um, And to add insult, Gene Mulvihill lied to the newspaper and said that George had been an employee, that he was there after hours, and that it was raining, none of which was true. And he said this because uh, he didn't want to have to report his death to the state. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But... I mean, I feel like th- he would get in trouble for lying. I mean, shouldn't he get in trouble for something? He should, yeah. But, uh... It's 1980. Yeah. We'll, we'll go into more of that. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, George was not the only fatality at Action Park. One park goer was electrocuted on a ride called the Kayak Experience due to underwater fans that were used to enhance the current speed. Yes, no. they had electric fans underwater oh and several other people died in a wave pool, a particular area in the wave pool that was known as the death zone. Oh, well, because it, the wave pool, it was so full of people. There was way too many people in at the same time. And there was only a few lifeguards on duty again teenagers Mm -hmm. and so if someone is struggling and needing help it would be really hard for people to spot them and so several people they just didn't get there in time to save them so sad yeah and um all told there were six deaths at action park the many injuries deaths and lawsuits caused the park to be dubbed class action park Mm. but still it took a while for the park to close City council members looked the other way, either due to family members working at the park, gifts from Gene, or being friends with him. And not only that, but it brought in a considerable amount of revenue for Vernon, and they didn't want uh, the cash flow to be cut off. And eventually, the park filed for bankruptcy, and Gene's partner was finally held accountable by the SEC, and at the end of 1996, Action Park finally closed its doors. A whole 16 years after the first fatality. I know. I I even can't even imagine being the family of that boy. Like, no. so terrible that it took that long. And then um, a little follow-up on the park in 1998, Intrawest, uh, bought the property and did a massive overall on the park, removing most of the attractions and turning it just into a typical water park named Mountain Creek. In 2010, it was bought by a group led by Gene Mulvihill. Oh no. Get him out of there. <laughs> and they were tried to try to revive Action Park, but he passed away two years later. And then his son Andrew tried to continue on the legacy, even attempting to rework the loop slide. 
it didn't work. Oh my gosh. And finally, in 2016, it was restored to Mountain Creek Park and is owned by a former Action Park employee. But he he was like a kid when he worked at the park and he seems like he's a nice guy. So He's like trying to get it out of the wrong hands. Yeah, it's just like a normal water park now and it looks like it's pretty nice oh good still around like the beautiful nature but Mm. safe (laughs) yeah oh my gosh yeah and that is the story of class action park class action park oh that's i kind of knew a little bit about this but Mm -hmm. this is like (laughs) eye-opening i know i i had to cut out several other rides that they talked about just because there were so many unhinged rides it's almost like they were in competition to be like, what could be worse? What's the worst way to throw a kid around? I know. And like some of the people in the documentary, they were talking about that was like kind of the excitement of it was like, oh, it's like so crazy and so dangerous. And people would come back with like bruises and scrapes and wear them as like a badge of honor. Oh, well, but then yeah. on the flip side, there's people who either had loved ones who passed away at the park or had traumatic injuries Mm. so yeah it's very interesting to see the difference of people who look fondly on the park and those who don't they're like it's just a rite of passage to go to a place that might kill you i know that's the fun thing about being a teenager i guess there was one person in the documentary that was like hey if you can't handle it like get out of jersey and i'm like what? What, what does Jersey have to be part of this? I'm like, let's not be like that. Like the family even brought up uh, of George that he was like super in shape, very active kid, like super strong, just like had a lot going for him. And when they heard that he was injured initially, they were like, oh, he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's so tough. He's such a strong kid. But at the end of the day, if you get a traumatic head injury it doesn't matter how, how tough you are yeah. it you can't you, like you can't survive that. you can't out strong your brain right if that even made sense it, it makes sense to <laughs> yeah. me yeah oh my gosh yeah i'm i can't even imagine because i mean i've had a, a concussion before oh, and, that's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like um that's like minuscule compared to somebody having a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. And that really can mess you up for a few days or weeks. Like I think mine, mine was dumb. I fell down the stairs holding a bag of knives. That's another story (laughs) for another day. But it's just, I can't even imagine just laying there in a pool of your own blood. And it's because you are having what you thought was going to be a fun time. It's just Disney Imagineers are like, this is why you actually go to school (laughs) to learn how to build things. I know. I, I mean, thankfully it seems like at least the one guy, George, I imagine that he probably didn't feel anything. Yeah. I was hoping that too. Because I mean, he was like immediately in in a a coma. Yeah. So Hopefully he didn't have any pain. Yeah. I mean, that's like the only, um, what's the word? Nice thing. No, yeah. that's not like, the word. The only consolation. Consolation. Yeah. yeah. I know. Cause like 19 years old. Oh, that's devastating. I know. 
Well, that was very well done. Thank you. And poor New Jersey. I New know. Jersey does not want to be thought of as the teenage killer. It doesn't. I would like to go to Vernon, New Jersey, though, as part of our road trip, because it does look very beautiful. Yes. Like, we are going to add it to yeah. the list. And we can go to the normal, sane water park. <gasps> that actually would be fun. <laughs> I think I've been to a water park once, um, and... It was during a time when I was wearing a swimsuit and feeling very insecure about myself and I did not have a good time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now I can do it just because it's like, who cares? Yeah. Let's just go have fun. I also, I was thinking about, you know, I don't know if I would have been different if I was born in the eighties or whatever, but just as a child at regular water parks, I was terrified of the big slide. Oh, same. Yeah. There's absolutely no way Mm -mm. I would have gotten I would have loved to watch people because I think some people are like really good at like uh, like somersaulting or like they you know they exit gracefully Mm -hmm. I just know I would have somehow messed it up and (laughs) wrenched my neck or something yeah but like I'll watch people like I've seen people um share their like Atlantis pictures you know like the the big theme like water park in Bermuda is in Bermuda we were just in Bermuda last week. Is it Bermuda? But there's like an Atlantis water park that's like <gasps> insanely huge where you're like in a tube and they drop you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, I I used to watch like the Travel Channel when they would go oh, to the yeah. most extreme theme parks. And um, me and one of our friends, Ashley... Um, her and I would always talk about doing like a tour of all of those crazy water parks. I'm like, she used to watch the action park documentary. Yeah. See what she thinks of it. I mean, I have actually talked to Ashley about a water park. We talked about Typhoon Lagoon when she went to <gasps> yes. Disney World, which I've never been to Disney World. So she was like, and we went here and here. I think Ashley's a, a water park girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to Typhoon Lagoon when I was really little. I was like five. When I went to Disney World, and Typhoon Lagoon was really fun. That's like the safest you could be, because it's literally, Disney does not want anyone to die. (laughs) They're like, this is not the place to die. And, you know, I was like five, I just like hung out in the shallow end of the wave pool. I mean, that's what I would do now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, get my drinky drink and hang out by the pool. um, Like, I would just like to sit in the shallow end and watch people splash around. Yeah, that sounds nice. It does sound nice. We should we should go to a water park this summer. Where? I don't know. I don't know where there is one. Mm. There's mm. that one in Washington, uh, Great Wolf Lodge. Yeah, we just drove past that one. Mm-hmm. And I was with a car of four people. Mm. Three people. We were. I was one of four. And I went, Great Wolf Lodge. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought it was exciting. It's not exciting to them. Oh, maybe they're not water park people. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. But we could be water park people. Let's try it out. Let's add it to our road trip. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. <sighs> well, do you have anything to add before we close? Um, stay away from any theme parks that has you going down concrete stay away from concrete and going i mean just don't go down concrete if you can yeah and yeah just be careful 
when you're around concrete and large rocks, please don't hit your head. Take care of your brain in more ways than one. Yeah. And um, don't listen to deranged uh, astronomers because turns out they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, comets are bold and beautiful and they're living their best life. They just are vibing. They're just in the, leave them alone. They're in the water park of space. <laughs> <laughs> they're just having fun. They're like, wee! Yeah. That actually, I mean, literally, when you see a comet, it literally looks like it's going, wee! <laughs> anyway. And um, if anyone says, I have a great idea for a new invention, and they draw it on a cocktail napkin, don't trust it. Burn me. that napkin. Or laugh at it later when you're like, this will never work. <laughs> yeah. That's always my, my two cents. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it. Thank you. Well, until next time, I hope you um, enjoy your coffee and you. your kitty. And I will also en- enjoy my kitty at home. Say hi to Greg. Hi to Greg. Because Henry is here. Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere. And I guess that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>